Welcome back to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. We're coming off of an exciting extra inning win for the Pirates in Game 1 of the 1979 National League Championship Series. Willie Stargell with a dramatic three-run, go-ahead three-run homer in the 11th inning, and then Don Robinson coming in, putting out the fire with a striking out Ray Knight with the bases loaded um, to sort of, in a game that felt like it was over, was actually really kind of came down to the final pitches there uh, with the Pirates pulling out the win at Riverfront Stadium. It was a good pitching matchup, of course, between Candelaria and Tom Seaver, neither factoring into the decision. And we're actually going to have another pretty good pitching matchup here today, though a bit of an unexpected good pitching matchup, for the most part looking at the resumes of the guys who are pitching. Uh, On the mound for the Reds is uh, Frank Pastore, a guy who just turned 22, has less than 100 career innings, was essentially a reliever, spot starter, kind of a swingman for most of the season. But then at the end, kind of the final month and a half of the season, really was one of the Reds' best pitchers. Uh, Finished the season on kind of a flurry, two, uh, two complete games to finish off the year and uh, help the Reds, uh, you know, take control of the National League West. I'll have more on Pastore uh, in a bit. The other guy that we're going to, that I'm going to focus on here is the man pitching for the Pirates. And that's Jim Bibby. And, Another guy who at the beginning of the season was sort of a swingman, you know, would go spot start here and there, uh, but would come in at times and um, and really uh, kind of had a chance to dominate as a starter. Um, and heck, even the, the thing about Bibby was even down the stretch of the season, wasn't necessarily always a starter. Like in the month of September, um, you know, ended up having a couple of games started and a couple of games in relief, uh, which is quite interesting. And funny enough, he also finished his season with two complete games to end the season, uh, just five days apart, both both against the Cubs. Uh, he had a shutout, uh, pitched a shutout against the Cubs on September 23rd uh, and then allowed one run while striking out 11. Uh, on uh, one on the second to last day of the season to kind of help you know create that distance that the Pirates needed to secure the NL East crown. Jim Bibby was he was just a big guy. In many ways, he um, players who faced him oftentimes sort of compared him to Nolan Ryan based off of his motion, based off of his size, and how hard he threw. Jim Bibby, you know, watching this game. Wouldn't shock me if he was throwing upper 90s, you know, and, uh, you know, with a really, really sharp, hard slider. And he just was this, he, he was, he lived life big. That was actually, and we'll get to it, one of the quotes of uh, someone who was close to him of Jim Bibby lived life big. 
Um, and he's got a very interesting backstory from North Carolina, uh, had basically kind of a sports family growing up. Um, of course, actually probably the more famous member of his family is his brother, Henry Bibby, who of course was the star point guard of the, uh, of the UC of the UCLA national champions in the like early seventies and would go on to have a very good NBA career. Of course, his son, uh, Henry's son, Mike Bibby, uh, played with the Sacramento Kings played with the Grizzlies was a very, very solid NBA player. Um, and basketball. Well, wasn't really Jim Bibby's thing. Uh, one of his brothers, uh, he had another brother who played in college, uh, who played at uh, Fayetteville State, where Jim Bibby went. Actually, got a basketball scholarship. But of Jim, his brother said, "Oh, well, you know, he was a, he was an eleventh man. You know, the la- kind of the last guy on the bench got would get into the game, look at the look at the crowd for the girls, score two points, and and be happy there. And it was actually at Fayetteville State." where he kind of discovered baseball and uh, got it and was sort of discovered by the Mets was signed to their rookie team had this an electric arm um, but couldn't really figure it out you know it, like it, he he his command was always an issue for Bibby throughout his entire career what's interesting is that so he goes, he plays rookie ball, he posts like an 11 ERA, but the stuff is electric. He actually goes and serves, right? Goes over to Vietnam as a truck driver in Vietnam there for two years and then returns back. Uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> it, it's funny. He was on that rookie ball team with Nolan Ryan and both of them, again, they were similar. They're, they're guys who were sort of tied together in some ways. Nolan, Ryan, of course, had a better baseball career. But these, they were these young Mets pitchers who had the best stuff in the world, but, man, they could not find the plate. Um, and both of them sort of had to deal with that. Um, but, uh, you know, Bibby ended up really impressing the Mets front office, whether it was Gil Hodges, Rube Walker, Whitey Herzog, by the way, who was the farm director. Uh, they were always enamored with his stuff. He was actually, in fact, called up to the 1969 Mets. He just never made an appearance. He's there. He's basically, he's there in the dugout. He's there. He's there in the clubhouse there. So he actually has experience on a World Series championship team already, um, you know, before here with the 79 Pirates. But he never got a shot with the Mets, um, you know, and, you know, he battled injuries, battled his command, eventually got traded to the Cardinals, made his debut there. Uh, Whitey Herzog got uh, hired as manager for the Rangers, so he brought on Jim Bibby. Jim Bibby actually had a season with the Rangers where started 41 games, went 19 and 19. I, 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 I say that again, 19 and 19, 41 starts, 11 complete games, 19 and 19, a 4.74 ERA. Um, not... Not that great, <laughs> you know, kind of a, a, a in terms of volume, one of his better seasons, but in terms of production, um, not that great. He, you know, he was the type of guy when he was with the uh, actually, I forget if it was whether he was with St. Louis or Texas, uh, he ended up throwing a no hitter. Yeah, actually, Texas, he ended up throwing the first no hitter uh, in, in Texas Rangers history. 
Um, but man, he, uh, he ended up struggling a bit. Um, he was the type of guy, the writer, Joe Posnanski, uh, who lived in Cleveland. He eventually went to Cleveland was, you know, he had a quote that with Jim Bibby, you didn't know whether or not <laughs> like one team was not going to have a chance that night. It was, but you just didn't know which team it was. Could be the opponents could be Bibby's team because his command could get the best of him and he could be wild. Uh, but the stuff was always there. Eventually gets traded to Cleveland is pretty productive um, in Cleveland. Um, you know, went 13 and seven and 12 and 13 mid three ERAs, a lot of innings there. Um, Harvey Haddix was his pitching coach. Harvey Haddix, who's now the pitching coach with in 1979 with the pirates. Um, but Bibby was, you know, granted free agency after the 77 season signs on with the pirates in 78 is a very effective swing man. And then in 79, you know, between 79, 80 and 81, he, I mean, the, the, the run he puts together over those years is incredible. You know, 79 goes 12 and four leads the with a two, eight, one ERA, uh, leads the league in winning percentage goes 19 and six in 1980, just absolutely dominant. Um, with a three three two ERA, finished third in Cy Young. Man, um, Jim Bibby really kind of put together. And then 1981, both the strike and injuries, he was very good, uh, but it sort of limited him. And, you know, kind of after that, due to injuries, and, and by this point he's 38, you know, his career in the majors was sort of done around 1983, 1984. He ended up uh, going back to Texas briefly. But Jim Bibby was a man who this big guy, big personality, um, you know, went to the Pirates because it was a little closer to his home in Virginia um, and just embraced his role and really was kind of a shining star. Uh, Well, not so much a star, but he he found a way to star in his role. Uh, And here he is starting game two of a playoff series. Um, you know, after his career was over, uh, he ended up actually being involved in a lot of front offices, doing coaching and various other things. He was very involved at home back in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, with the local YMCA, um, with, you know, you know, uh, supporting like the American Cancer Institute and other things, um, at the American Cancer Society, I mean, and, um, Man, he was he was a special guy, and unfortunately, um, he ended up getting bone cancer. He died in 2010. Um, but one of the people who said about him, and I and I think this really sums up Jim Bibby, um, a guy who served in Vietnam, struggled with injuries in command throughout his career, but found a way to be really good. What what is so succinct about him was big heart, big body, big talent big personality, big hands, big humor, big hugs. Bibby lived life big. Famously, he was able, his hands were huge. Part of the reason why he could throw the ball so hard. He could hold eight baseballs, I think, in his hands. Jim Bibby. We're going to see him have quite a game here in game two. More on all of that. 
after a word from our sponsor. When you survived opening in the Great Depression and countless ups and downs and even floodwaters and you are still going strong, well, you know you've got something special. And in Millvale, that something special is Grant Bar. Been in Frank Rosenberger's family since the beginning. And it's a classic Pittsburgh restaurant and bar. People come for the fried shrimp. Butterfly just right and crispy. Saturday nights, there's the prime rib. Frank's got a special oven for that, so the meat is well done on the outside and medium rare throughout. Just perfect. Everything's fresh. Everything's homemade. As Frank says, we do things the hard way, but the right way. Oh, and people come for Frank's pies, too. Dutch apple, banana cream, chocolate cream, but the signature pie, coconut cream. Best in the city. Maybe best in the whole U.S. of A. People come in, they order a meal, and they want the pie served first. It's that good. If you've never been to Grant Bar, come on in. You're going to feel like a regular. Grant Bar on Grand Avenue in Millvale, just off Route 28. It's very interesting for two teams to face off in the playoffs. And they don't exactly have number two starters, right, Uh, in the traditional sense. Um, During this era when you really were reliant on starting pitching to carry you. And, and, you know, we we think about the Orioles when we cover them and how much they were able to dominate due to that depth of starting pitching. Um, Both of these teams have depth of quality starters, but no one really stuck out as those sort of number twos, you know, for, for the Reds, whether it was Mike Lacoste or Fred Norman, they were guys who were solid, but just not, not outstanding really in any way. And for the Pirates, you know, you had someone like a Burt Blylevin, who we, of course, you know, is a not necessarily known as, at the time as a future Hall of Famer. Um, but, you know, he's a really good pitcher, but kind of more thought of as a sort of a middle back of the rotation. And guys like Don Robinson and and Bruce Keeson, Jim Rooker, each of them have, you know, kind of had their issues. So it's very interesting for both of these teams that the managers are sort of going with the hot hand of, all right, well, uh, last two starts, um, you know, Pastore went nine innings, nine innings, you know, each with a shutout and like a one-run nine-inning game and uh, kind of same for Bibby. Um, I will say for Pastore, that's a lot of pressure to put on a, on someone with less than 100 innings in their career and who for most of the year was not a starter. Um, and at times, you know, the only time he's faced the pirates, he got as a starter, he got lit up, you know, they're going to mention it here in the broadcast, I think. Um, but he made a spot start when the when Seaver was dealing with some arm issues and got, got trounced essentially. Baby is the type of guy who on a stuff perspective, you could definitely see him being a number two starter. It's just, you know, at this point, he's a he's a mid thirties veteran who who who's had trouble to this point in his career, really holding down a rotation spot. And you know, obviously, that wasn't his role so far with the Pirates. But 
he earned it down the stretch. And uh, both of these guys are going to pitch pretty well in this game. Um, pretty much no lineup changes for the Pirates in this game. I'm pretty sure they're running. Yeah, they're running the same lineup. Moreno in center, Foley at short, Parker in right, Stargell at first, Milner in left, Mal- Madlock at third, Ed Ott behind the plate, Phil Garner, and then Bibby, um, who, you know, not a good hitter, but could hit the ball pretty far given his strength. A um, little bit of a difference here, The kind of the same sort of setup for the Reds, the the main difference being uh, that Geronimo is going to be in center field hitting eighth instead of uh, Hector Cruz. Collins in right, Morgan at second, Concepcion at short, George Foster in left, Bench at behind the plate, Dreesen at first, Ray Knight at third, and Geronimo then past Story. For this game, which is going to be a day game, by the way, Um, so that's always, it's always interesting early in these, uh, in these playoffs, you would have, you know, the first game would usually be a night game and then you play the next day because then you, you know, when you play a five game series, you gotta go travel after game two, but it would be like an afternoon game. So shadows can sometimes play a factor. Uh, but of course we had a game that went extras and now we've got to go and do it again right away. For this game, we are going to actually have a little bit of a treat for you. We've got KDKA TV. So we're going to hear the the Pirates broadcasters for most of the game. There are a couple clips. It might just be one or two um, that are going to be uh, from the NBC broadcast, just based off of where I was, what I was able to source. But we're going to have Milo Hamilton. We're going to have Lanny for Terry. It's for Terry. I mispronounced it last time. Uh, I apologize for that. And of course, former World Series hero, Ellie Bryles, who I'm not sure of when I, when I covered 73, I'm not sure if I brought this up, but Nelson Bryles, it, one of the games, he actually sang the national anthem one of the games at Shea Stadium. Like Nelson Bryles, a man of many talents. Uh, a guy, a, uh, a multi-time World Series champion, um, a guy who, you know, in the 1971 series against Baltimore threw a two-hit shutout. <laughs> I mean, come on. How about that from Nelson Bryles? Uh, and here he is calling the game. And uh, we are going to get his their thoughts on the Red Starter, Frank Pastore, what he has to offer, and we're going to get in to this excellent game two. Pastore now, as you see, just going across the line. He's a flamethrower with the two guys going here today, Nelson Bryles. It's possible they might have to measure the mileage on the Richter scale rather than miles per hour. They both can bring it. They certainly do, and we face Frank Pastore in his first major league appearance and and even though we knocked him out somewhere in around the fourth inning he was still throwing the ball very well was sent to the minor leagues has since come back and established himself as their number two pitcher in their rotation throws the ball very well in all fairness to him the day we knocked him out he was really put on the spot that was the day Seaver tried to warm up a couple of times and I don't mean just briefly he was down in that bullpen Pastore really went to the hill in that game on short notice well he certainly did and, and it's difficult to prepare for a game when 
when uh, at the last minute they said, hey, the starter can't make it, you're in there. And it's his first major league start. It's against a fine pirate ball club. A lot of pressure was put on him, and maybe that's one thing that has helped him uh, have the success later in the year. Indeed, success later in the year is what Pastore would have, especially down the stretch. I think he won, like, in his last, like, six starts or six appearances. They won, like, four out of six or something like that. He was very, very effective uh, down the stretch. One thing he was very good at, limiting home runs, limiting walks, and for the time, having an above-average strikeout rate. You know, not, not nowhere near what we think of today in terms of striking out. But as mentioned, he threw hard, uh, had a really clean delivery. And first inning is going to go pretty well for him. He does fall behind Omar Moreno, uh, but gets him to ground out to second, uh, then gets Tim Foley to fly out to center, and then sort of overpowers Dave Parker, a good way to – get the game started uh, going up in that uh, in that game. And especially it's important, like in this game and in this series, they're not as successful as you would hope. But with the way Willie Stards will swing in the bat, you don't want runners on base when he's at the plate, <laughs> right? Like, like you could just tell, and, and kind of the same thing with Parker too, with, with both Parker and Stargell is these guys are locked in in at the plate and you know despite overpowering parker like i said his at bats watching his at bats they're excellent right like he's taken he's taken a swings i mean man dave parker what a what a hitter what a player should be a hall of famer in my opinion anyway let's go to the bottom of the first and now we are going to hear our broadcasters talk about Jim Bibby and what he's going to bring to the table and what he's done to sort of earn his spot as the number two starter in this series for the Pirates. I right, Jim Bibby getting in the warm-up tosses 12 and 4 when he stepped into that rotation as uh, the other starter well he really came on and did his thing and especially the two big games against Chicago he just pitched marvelous baseball and as you're looking, you see the defense that will show Ed out his battery mate, Stargell and Garner on the right side of the infield, on the left side, Foley and Madlock. The outfield left to right today, Milner, Moreno, and Parker. Jim Bibby beat this club once in relief this year. That is his victory against them for the season and lifetime. They talk about some pitchers maturing later in life as far as doing their best. Even though Bibby had some flashes of form at Texas and at Cleveland, I really believe he's pitched his best baseball the last 10 or 12 weeks as far as doing the things with the things that he does best. There's a liner into left center, and Moreno will be right there to take care of Collins. As you see there, line drive, swing and first pitch from Dave Collins, one out in the bottom of the first. I will say one more thing about Jim Bibby. It's interesting. He came up in that Mets organization that had a plethora of young arms. Uh, when you're thinking about prospects like John Matlack, Gary Gentry, Jerry Kuzman, Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan, right? And there are even others, uh, other guys who were, who were pretty, uh, pretty effective. Um, but actually, 
like kind of like 1971 around the time when he got traded 1972 a lot of those guys ended up sort of getting injured and matlack was kind of like the one the one guy left uh ryan was gone and then bibby was gone uh but bibby never was at the major league level with the mets so he's kind of forgotten Mm -hmm as someone who is kind of part of that group uh, in many ways. So I, I just always think that's interesting uh, when I was just doing my research of, wow, Jim Bibby, he was with the Mets. He could have, you know, he could have been on, uh, on those teams. Anyway, first inning is actually going to get a little too interesting. Remember what I mentioned about Jim Bibby. The stuff is great. At times, he can be unhittable. He's a guy who's thrown a no-hitter. He's thrown a one-hitter. Is very intimidating. But in his no-hitter, he walks six guys. And command, it's the main thing. He's got a hard fastball. He's got a sharp breaking ball. Sometimes he can't locate. Um, Now, there's sometimes when you can't locate, and that means you're throwing cookies. I will say for Jim Bibby, it's usually that he can't find the plate. It's not that he's missing middle. So he ends up walking Joe Morgan. Joe Morgan works a really good at bat. Ho-hum, another walk for Joe Morgan. What else do you expect? One of one of the best at discerning strike zones, and especially for a guy who had such a small strike zone, right? Uh, and, I mean, again, the, Morgan, even, even a hobbled Joe, Joe Morgan is still a threat. And he shows that basically on the first pitch, he steals second uh, and really no shot for Ed Ott to throw him out. It's not that Bibby's slow to the plate or anything. It's just Joe Morgan. Uh, so that immediately kind of puts pressure on them. Um, Concepcion ends up flying out to right. And interestingly enough, Morgan doesn't challenge. The ball's kind of deep, but with Dave Parker's cannon and especially on turf, like with how Parker throws the ball so sharply. I mean, he didn't have the arm of Clemente, but it's about as close as you can get to Clemente. And especially because there's guys who can throw long distances, but they don't throw it sharply. Dave Parker had that. And especially utilizing turf could skip it to right in on a line to guys. So no advancement there. Uh, Foster ends up working a four pitch walk. And that brings up Johnny bench. And, you know, Johnny Bench, again, he's he he's not MVP Johnny Bench anymore, but he is still a dangerous hitter. And he's going to put a charge into one here, but that defense, once again, is going to show out and really, you know, with what could have been a rough first inning for Jim Bibby is going to get out without any damage done. Take a listen to Dave Parker making a play here. Now he's in front of Bench. 0-2 pitch. Fly ball right center. That ball's going to be back by the fence, and Parker's going to haul it in. Bench going to the opposite side. Took Parker deep just this side of the fence in deep right center field. The crowd cheering with their hearts there. The ball really wasn't hit that well. And after it got up, it didn't carry, and Parker stayed right with it, ran right under it, and it's no runs, no hits, no errors, a couple of walks, two reds left. We have played an inning. It's the Pirates nothing and the Reds nothing. As I've mentioned before, in order to hit it out of Riverfront, you really, really got to 
got to get one out of there. You really got to touch one. Uh, and just not enough backspin, not enough carry there. Um, I would say it was a solidly hit ball, not crushed, uh, but it's a great job by Dave Parker to run that down. One of the things that's kind of underrated about Dave Parker at this point is how darn good of a right fielder he was and like how well he moved for a guy his size uh, was really really quick and had long strides um and uh man he played a great right field early on uh in his days in pittsburgh so coming up to lead off the second inning i'm actually going to play a little audio here about you know obviously the hero of last night's game which was willie stargell and throughout this postseason we're going to talk about willie stargell he really is like I said, this is going to be a playoff run that sort of secures his legend status. He's already a guy who's a legend in the game, uh, you know, and and had tremendous years where he led the league in home runs. He actually never won an MVP until this year in 79. By many rights, he should, probably should have won in 71, uh, you know, over Joe Torre. But eh, Joe Torre hit 360. Uh, but the Pirates were the best team in baseball. They ended up winning. Uh, but but why that's maybe not brought up as much is to this point in his career, Willie Stargell really struggled in the playoffs, right? Like his first ever appearance in 1970, right? He hit like 500 in, in a three-game sweep, like where they got beat. Uh, but like the year they go on to win the World Series, he didn't get a hit in the NLCS. He went 0 for 14 and was pretty abysmal in the World Series. Basically... Little punch, I mean, like to this point in his career before the series started, right? 26 postseason games, 26 postseason games. He went hitless in 12 of them, right? Was was sporting like a 217 batting average. And really, if you take out that first time where, you know, he had hit 500 for three games, he was hitting under 200 very little power, very little damage, was able to walk some, but really to this point in his career was kind of me. I don't know if there was a narrative around it. I can't speak to that, but he was a guy who didn't perform in the postseason, right? So this was a really important season for Willie Stargell. And as you'll see for other things, it was a really important season. And, you know, he is the leader of the team, uh, but he really actually almost had to step more into that role this year. Uh, and here are the Pirates broadcasters talking about Pops, Captain Willie, the legend, Willie Stargell. Those of us who have been around long enough to see this guy play all these years and have a title of being the MVP slip away one year, boy, it'd just be poetic justice to see him crown it here at the age of 38 to be the MVP. I think one of the things that'll help Willie Nelly is the focus that was put on our club the last week or two and the number of media members from all around the country that came in and saw firsthand not only how great a player he was, which they had to know if they had covered the game at all, but his influence on the team and all the other aspects that we know that were with him every day that the other people don't know that had a chance to see firsthand in his home ballpark. Well, that's certainly true, and, and to illustrate his leadership, there was one point where everybody was saying, you know, we're tired, we're hurt. 
Sargent ends up walking to start the second. He's the first pirate base runner of the day. And as, as Willie got up on the trunk and he said, hey, we're all tired. We're all hurt. We have to grind this thing out, get it going. And some one of the ballplayers said, yeah, but you aren't playing every day, Willie. You've just been kind of platooned at first base. And he said, is that right? That's the time he went in to manager Chuck Tanner and he said, I'm in there every game the rest of the year. We're going to do it. Nobody's going to say that I'm a part-time player anymore. And he has done it. Now, I think at his, at his age, Stargell could be a little bit forgiven for maybe not playing every day, not being an Ironman. But really to the point of Stargell was never an Ironman throughout his career. The most games he ever played in the season was 148. He was usually a guy you could rely on for in about 130 to 140 games, You know whether it was due to injury or maybe some platoon matchups. Um, he was a guy who, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't playing 162. He wasn't even playing 150. Uh, but I think with the way of maybe the limiting some of his at-bats throughout the season, you got the best out of him. Uh, just a tremendous hitter. And, you know, to lead off this inning, to lead off the second, he's going to draw a walk. You know, works a seven pitch at bat, fouls off a tough pitch and then draws a walk. Milner then flies out to left. And uh, Bill Madlock uh, chops one up the middle. Dave Concepcion comes over, turns a 6-4-3. Madlock makes it pretty close down there at first base, but he hits the ball a little too hard. So in the bottom of the second, things, again, a little bit of trouble early on for Jim Bibby. To lead off the inning, Dan Dreesen pulls a single through to the right side. And then Ray Knight ends up getting uh basically they go hit and run uh hits one up the middle Dreesen ends up at third base at Moreno actually makes a throw I, I forget if it's Moreno or Parker but like it's actually pretty close at third base despite it being a hit and run um and then Bibby actually goes in and does a really good job of limiting the damage here right, of gets Geronimo, just overpowers him. It just the, the stuff is way too much for Geronimo. Geronimo, no chance, overpowered with the fastball. But then that brings up Frank Prestori, who's a pitcher. And you think, okay, this matchup, maybe that's going to work out for Bibby, that, okay, he gets ahead, gets ahead with two strikes, and has a chance to maybe, hey, maybe can strike him out and then maybe get out of this without giving up any runs. You know, turn a first and third, nobody out, into a situation with, you know, no damage at all. Not exactly going to happen. Frank Pastore does a pretty good job here of helping himself out on the mound. Runners at first and third. Pastore with a chance to help himself, and Bibby with a chance to get out of the mess. Center. He's going to get that run home. Greason will tag. Moreno's throw will come to Foley out behind second. One to nothing Reds. Pastore gave it enough of a ride into center. And the Reds break on top. Sacrifice fly RBI for Frank Pastore. You always hear me harp on when you've got a guy on third with nobody out get the job done right away the pirate the the reds weren't able to do that geronimo wasn't able to cash in and i mean it's especially important when you have a pitcher coming up afterwards it really doesn't matter who the batter is uh but pastore is able to sort of make up 
uh, make up for for the for the letdown uh, by getting the run in. Um, but like I said, it's actually a good job by by Bibby getting that first strikeout. Um, and then, you know, with Collins at the plate, uh, Knight ends up stealing second base. But it doesn't really matter uh, because, uh, well, Jim Bibby's stuff is too much for Dave Collins, is able to overpower him again. The, you know, command hasn't been sharp so far, but the stuff is electric. Electric. So, um, you know, Top of the third, again, another good inning, a really great start to this game by Frank Pastore. He ends up actually walking Jim Bibby, uh, you know, after two ground outs, uh, giving Joe Morgan a little a little bit of exercise over there at second base. Uh, but then Omar Moreno flies out to left. In the bottom of the third, we have another really important sequence in this game. Again, another third inning in a row, that Jim Bibby has to deal with runners on base. Um, Joe Morgan pops out, but then Dave Concepcion misses a home run by just a couple of feet, right? Hits one right off the wall. Milner's tracking it, uh, but it, it shoots off the wall. Concepcion in for a double. And then George Foster was works a good at bat, works a 3-2 count, and ends up walking. And so that brings up Johnny Bench, a guy who hit a ball to the gap that Dave Parker ran down last time. And a very interesting thing happens here. I can understand what's going through Dave Concepcion's mind here. He's on second base. He's trying to be aggressive. He's been seeing the sign. Like, he's trying to set himself up so that he can put himself in position where all Johnny Bench has to do is hit a fly ball. And... He makes the right call. He must he must have read the signs, knows a breaking ball is coming. But defense has been so important in this series, and defense is going to shine here for the Pittsburgh Pirates to help get Jim Bibby out of a major jam in the third inning. Harvey Haddock, you saw there, the pitching coach. He and Chuck Tanner getting together, seeing what they think of the work that Bibby's doing here. Johnny Bench, 0 for 1, 2 for 4 in the series. Two on, one out. There's Concepcion headed for third. The throw is going to be in time. A beautiful throw by Ott, especially considering that a right-hand batter was right there that he had to throw through. Certainly was, and I thought Concepcion had a pretty good jump. And as, as we said earlier, you have to watch him. There's a breaking ball down and away. Ott came up and put it right on the money. Probably the only type of throw that could got a, a sliding Concepcion. He had to be going on his own because George Foster did not go ahead and steal second base. He's still at first. Concepcion knows with that look right there that, hey, I got to go. Just didn't make it. Oh, an excellent throw by Ed Ott. Now it's two away. And the pitch to bench is a strike to even at one and one. There it is again, and Dog just put that glove down, let him tag himself out as he came into the bag. I certainly did, put it right there, and you like Madlock because he stays right in there, puts the ball down, lets the runner tag himself out. One ball, one strike. There's a high pop. Ed Ott and Stargell both moving. Stargell's play to make, 
midway between the line and the mound, and the caught stealing a big play there, and the Bucks get out of it. Bibby was in trouble with a double and a walk, but he gets out of it with nobody scoring. No runs, one hit, no errors, a walk, a caught stealing and one left. We have played through three, another tough tight one just like you expected, isn't it? After three innings, the Reds won, and the Pirates nothing. That's a tremendous throw by Ed Ott and a great tag from Bill Madlock getting over there, sticking it right on the foot. Concepcion actually kind of beats the throw, but his slide, his first leg goes up in the air, like because he tries to do a really late slide. And so that leg, if he keeps it on the ground, probably beats, probably beats the tag. Uh, but because it's up in the air, he's uh, uh, Madlock's able to tag the other foot. So the top of the fourth here is where they're able to get to Frank Pastore a little bit. Second time around the order, Tim Foley punches one through to the right side, and then Dave Parker rips a single uh, to sort of to the left side, to left field, to set up first and second, and pops Willie Stargell on. So nowhere to put Willie Stargell. You've got to come right at him. But what happens here is a really important play in this game. It is a slight positive for the Pirates, but it shows this inning is going to end up to be a really huge missed opportunity for the Pirates to, to put up a crooked number, right? They're going to be able to score in this inning, but it's one of these, those innings that they're going to look back and be like, man, that should have been a two-run or a three-run inning with how we were hitting the ball. Take a listen to what happens here and a little bit of a mix-up on the bases. Well hit. Left center field. Foster going back. Warning track. It's over his head. Foley will have to stop at third. Parker at second. Stargell's at second. They got two men. They got Willie hung up. Willie going to hurry back to throw to Dreesen. He's out. a traffic jam at second base first it was Parker and Foley that were both standing near the second base bag and Foley went to third Stargell will get credit for a base hit on the warning track in left center field and then is erased as Foster's throw came back into Concepcion and then on to Dreesen it was a foot race to the bag and Dreesen won it no, I guess Foley was... Here's the play again. And Dreesen got Willie. Definitely. He just out, he outran Willie. Willie not being known for his speed. Foley must have thought that Foster had a good shot at catching the ball and was going to tag up at second base. He was not halfway. He was going to tag up. Especially with no one out. He could have been on third base had, had uh, Foster been able to make that over-the-shoulder catch. He couldn't have thrown anyone out. And Parker feeling exactly the same way. Now the ball drops in. Willie thought, hey, I got a double for sure. Montag just running and screaming, hey, Will, get back over here. Come on, come on. And again, he loses the foot race. Parker watching the play, but we just got uh, jammed up a little bit, and uh, it cost us an out. What I find interesting about that play is a ball hit to left. I don't know. It's just you have three guys doing three different things. Right, Sargell hits the crap out of the ball. Knows it's you know it's going to be off the wall if not maybe out of the ballpark. So, um, you know he knows it's to the gap. He's thinking extra bases. 
Dave Parker is going out reading it so that, hey, if it gets by Foster, I'm, I want to be on third base. If not, maybe even score. And Foley is not necessarily wrong to tag, right? Because he, because Foster's got a good beat on the ball. But where I think the mistake is, is that, it, you know, Foley kind of lollygags it. Not exactly lollygags it, but like doesn't aggressively try to score. And But the reason for that is kind of a fortuitous bounce. The ball bounces off the wall literally right into Foster's glove, right? And he turns around, whips the ball in. And they're they're able to get it in quick, um, rather than you know because typically balls off the wall, you you know the outfielders are trying to find it for a couple of seconds, and that gives you so that if you're on second base, a ball to the wall, you should score no matter what. Not in this scenario. And then Stargell, by the time you know because he's busting it out, by the time he realized what's happened, it's too late. Um, a real missed opportunity because. It should be second and third, nobody out. And now it's second and third with one out. And they're actually going to intentionally walk John Milner, interestingly enough, and bring up Bill Madlock, who grounded into a double play his first time up. And he's going to hit another ground ball here. But take a listen, and they don't really touch on it, but these are the types of plays, the types of things of like when you're on defense when you're kind of gifted an opportunity like this, you really got to take advantage of that opportunity. And when you make a mistake, you've got to do everything you can to make up for it, bust it, make those effort plays, those winning plays. And that's what Bill Madlock is going to do right here. That's what a short Concepcion to Morgan one on the first, not in time. And the Pirates have tied the game one, one Foley scores the run. Madlock's ground ball, they tried for the double play, but did not get it. Just wasn't hit hard. They tried to turn it. Morgan makes a good pivot, but the speed of Bill Madlock beats the play at first, and Foley does score on the play. Milner coming in on Morgan. Yeah, the ball wasn't hit that hard by Madlock, but a great effort by him to sprint out of the box. I mean, he's flying down the line to avoid that double play. Like I said, that's a winning play, right? Where, okay, we've, we've had a break didn't go our way and you, you know, you're up at the plate. You want to smack a single, you want to drive a ball to the gap, you know, to bring all the guys home. But, you know, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, right? Instead of feeling sorry for yourself, you sprint out and you find a way to make something happen. That's winning baseball. That's Bill Madlock making a play right there. And from the Reds' perspective, it's really good pitching by Pistori of like to find a way to almost get himself out of it. Uh, he's able to retire the next guy, gets Ed Ott to ground out to short. Again, another nice play by Dave Concepcion coming, coming over the middle, uh, throwing one over to first base. Jim Bibby finally has a one, two, three clean inning, gets Dreesen to ground out, gets Ray Knight to pop out, and once again, just overpowers Cesar Geronimo. Um, now to the top of the fifth, and this is going to be the controversial play of the game. Right here with Phil Garner at the plate. 
If you're a Pirates fan or if you were a Reds fan of that time, you might remember this. It's it's not something that goes down in history because this is not necessarily a famous series, right? But what happens right here when Phil Gardner hits a line drive to right field and the ins- what ensues after it is something that wouldn't happen in today's game because of instant replay. Take a listen to what happens here with Phil Garner at the plate. As it goes, Garner leading off the fifth line drive, Collins sliding, didn't make the catch, it's safe. Garner is safe at first. Second base umpire, Frank Pulley, ruled no catch. And we're gonna have our first major rhubarb of this championship series. Pulley has said it, no catch. He is the second base umpire. John Kibler is the right field umpire, but I think that Pulley felt he had the best look at it. McNamara trying to cool his club down here. As we've seen a couple of times this year, after some discussion, an umpire has gone to one of his compatriots and asked, did you see the ball better than I did? Did I make the wrong call? And in one instance, there was a changed call for our benefit. But here, I don't know if Pulley is indeed going to appeal to John Kibler, who was down the right field line. Now, the question would be, did he see the ball skip on the artificial surface? If he felt his own mind that he did, then he'd have to stick with his call. But Pulley tried to get reason in here with McNamara. It's a 1-1 ball game in the fifth inning. It's funny, Collins came in really hot saying he caught the ball and McNamara was the one that's telling Collins, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's talk this thing out. And now it's Pulley that's telling McNamara, hey, wait a minute, calm down, we'll discuss this thing intellectually. Now John Kibler, the right field umpire, is coming into the discussion. He's the umpire that just come into your picture now. You know, I didn't think Collins stalked in all that quickly. I'm not, well, let's see it. Here's the line drive to right. We'll see it from a couple of different angles. Well, Collins didn't get a real good start. Accelerated right at the last minute. Comes down, gets his glove under the ball, but I'm sure the question is, did it pop out? And he claims he caught it. And from this angle, it was difficult to see because his ball was, body was behind it. But here, it appears as though he does catch it. The ball never did pop out of his glove. It appears as though he does make the catch, but it was so quick. It was difficult, uh, I guess, for the umpire to, to make a clean decision. It looked like it popped the ball out of his glove momentarily. You can see from the way that his glove was turned down towards the ground that there's a split second there where you think that the ball hit the carpet. But from this angle here, I think it's clear that he made the grab. But being the prejudiced Pittsburgh broadcaster they am, I thought it was safe all the way. Did you really? <laughs> no, no. I, I thought he made the no, catch. I thought he made the catch from that angle right there. That, there were three angles that we showed you. The second one appeared to give us the best look. Hang in there, Dave. Nice try. I let that play out because they were waiting for the replay, waiting for the replay, and then they see it, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, he caught that ball, and despite obviously rooting for the pirates, they are like, yeah, no, that, that ball was caught. And you could just really tell with how Col- like Collins is furious. He's yelling at the umpire. 
And what's so funny is the umpire, Frank Pulley, John McNamara comes out and he's heated. And it's so funny to see Pulley just be like, John, 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 I understand. John, that's not what, like just back then, and, and umpires still do this to this day, but they're just like, they especially they back each other up, but they also are like, well, no, I saw what I saw. I'm going to stand by my call. Which there is something to that, but now when we have instant replay, and you know, I think even back then, it's like, hey, no, the ball was caught, right? Like, it, it's caught. And that's a huge play in a playoff game, right? Like, a guy comes in and, and makes a catch, and it's not ruled a catch. That's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And, you know... You had, to, you had a break not go the Pirates' way last inning, right? Where the ball off the wall just basically hops into Foster's glove and leads to a mis- you know, leads to an error, essentially, a base-running error by the Pirates. You know, this is a... But, it, I mean, it's not that they all even out. They don't. Anyone who tells you that doesn't know anything. They, if they evened out in baseball, they just don't. Believe me on that. Um, but sometimes breaks go your way and sometimes they don't. And back then the umpires kind of what they said, I mean, we think about Don Dankinger in 1985, um, heck, you know, you know, replay, we, we, we had, we've had television all this time and, but it only took until what late two thousands, uh, or early 2010s that we actually have review, uh, and challenging and all of that. So I don't know. It's just an it's it's an interesting thing and a very clearly missed call. And the Pirates are going to take advantage. Jim Bibby lays down a good bunt, moving Garner to second. Uh, Moreno hits hits a ball solidly into center, uh, but no movement up there uh, from from Garner, mainly because there's no real advantage to being on third base with two outs, uh, but also because. Hey, Cesar Geronimo's got a cannon out there in center field. But that brings up Tim Foley, a guy who's kind of really been involved. You know, a guy who they traded for at the beginning of the season is just, you know, numbers wouldn't necessarily back him being like a super impactful player, but he just finds ways. And we're going to see throughout these playoffs and especially throughout this game, he finds a way to make a difference in these games. Tim Foley at the plate with a chance to put the Pirates ahead in the fifth inning. Foley steps in. He's one for two. In the fourth inning, single to right and scored. Base it. Garner will score. Pirates take a two-to-one lead. Ball rolling down in the corner. And Foley is in the second base with a two-out stand-up double. Two to one, Bucko's lead here in the fifth inning as Garner scores from second base. Foley gets his fourth hit of the series. Tim Foley. Always been a winner. Feisty shortstop of the Bucks. Trying to come in on Tim, and he gets that short bat right on through. Drills it between Ray Knight. And the third base bag, it rolls down all the way in the corner. Phil Garner is going to score easily, and Foster just waits for the ball to come out and gets the ball back in. And again, that controversial call in right field helps the Bucks. As Garner reached on that call, 
went to second on a sacrifice punt and scored on the Foley double. So Tim, with four hits in the first two games of the series, picks up his second RBI of the series. A great swing from Foley there, ripping a ball down the left field line to drive in Phil Garner. In many ways, it's a run they feel like maybe they shouldn't have had, uh, but they will take it. They will take it, that's for sure. Um, Dave Concepcion uh, saves another run. Parker hits another ball up the middle. Uh, um, or actually, no, he he kind of nubs one, uh, but Concepcion comes in and throws him out, gets him out by a step. Another nice play uh, by Dave Concepcion. And um, in the bottom of the fifth, uh, Frank Pastore draws a walk of his own uh, against, uh, against Jim Bibby, but not real, not really any, any danger here, um, for the, uh, for Jim Bibby. He's able to work, uh, you know, able to work around the, the fielder's choice. Uh, Dave Collins hits a comebacker and then he's able to get two fly balls to get out of the inning. And, uh, we're going to be trading zeros here for a little bit. You know, top of the six, which is going to be Pastore's final. Um, actually, I take that back. It's not his final inning. Both of these guys are actually going to go. Both of these guys are going to go seven innings. Um, but they're able to, to trade one, two, three innings in the sixth. Uh, and including uh, Jim Bibby gets a strikeout of George Foster, where again, he's just able to overpower him. Uh, it's a really, really strong outing um, from him. In the top of the seventh, Ed Ott is able to lead off with a single uh, and actually put you know a little bit more uh, danger on there. Jim Bibby advances him with a bunt, and then with Omar Moreno at the plate, um, he's going to hit one into left. But we're going to see again on both sides for these teams, the defense really, really steps up in this series. The defense is excellent uh, and makes the needed plays um, to keep this a really, really tight and close ball game. Line drive, left field, base hit, Plaster charging, Ed Ott will challenge, the throw toward the plate is going to be out at the plate. Plaster charges the sharply hit line drive to left, throws a strike to Bench who shut the door, Blocked it off, Ott was out, and the side has been retired. And here it is again. Foster came up winging. Now watch this. Bench right there. Shuts the door. He blocks it as well as anybody in the game. And Ott had no place to go but run up against a brick wall, and the side has been retired. Give credit to a base hit to Moreno, but Ott cut down at the plate. No runs, two hits, no errors, one left. Seventh inning stretch time for the Reds fans at Riverfront. Still tight as you can get it here. The Pirates two and the Reds one. One ball, two strikes. Bibby has gotten some of the big Cincinnati hitters out with that slider. He got Foster with a vicious slider, struck him out, and then he broke Bench's bat. Ground ball is short and a tough slider. Shrub Tanner. It'll be interesting to see, as we're looking back tomorrow, who Tanner will start. If he wins, he says it'll be one guy. If he loses, it'll be somebody else. I think it'll be Blyla. One ball, two strikes. Tying run at second. Struck oh, him oh. out. 
Bibby just reared back and fired the ball. Collins is out on strikes. That's the fifth strikeout. That ends the inning. So at the end of seven complete innings here, the score, Pittsburgh two, Cincinnati one, and it'll be Tim Foley, Dave Parker, and Willie Stargell for Pittsburgh. A really impressive outing from Jim Bibby. We got to hear our NBC broadcasters really being impressed with his stuff. Um, you know, but even for back then with that stuff, not picking up a lot of strikeouts, only five and seven innings. I believe he had four walks. So it wasn't the prettiest game, but that wasn't exactly Jim Bibby's game. Like he, even when he was at his best, he was going to walk guys. Uh, but man, I just, I, I'm partial to big guys on the mound, like being a bigger guy myself. I don't know. I There's something about what you might call a big hoss on the mound or something like that, that, that when you're thinking of a workhorse and all that, like that's my kind of guy, a guy who's going to come in there, throw hard, mix in pitches. is going to come right at you. It's my kind of guy, Jim Bibby. What an outing. What a postseason debut for both of these pitchers, honestly. Frank Pastore, a pretty darn good postseason debut for him. Um, you know, and he was – one note on Pastore was a guy who – he actually had a pretty good season in 1980, um, but really kind of fell off after that, really struggled um, to with effectiveness. Um, was always a guy, like, pretty good at limiting home runs and walks and, like – had decent what we would call now peripheral stats um but he gave up a lot of hits gave up a lot of hits and wasn't really able to stick it in the big leagues anyway dave tomlin is going to come in the lefty uh and he's able to uh he's able to get tim foley to ground out ends up striking out dave parker really overmatched him with some sliders there and then Willie Stargell, again, pops another great at bat. He hits one off the wall himself, misses a home run just by, just by a little bit. He's really seeing the ball great. Uh, but then they bring in Tom Hume, who's able to get Bill Robinson, who who came in defensively for Milner, uh, to, to ground out, uh, to shortstop. So now we go to the bottom of the eighth, and this is where the, the final innings, the final couple of innings here get real, real interesting. Grant Jackson comes in. Uh, Jackson is good, is able to get Joe Morgan to ground out to second. Nice play by Phil Garner. But then they bring in Enrique Romo, who struggled last night and is going to struggle again. He's actually not going to retire a single batter. Uh, Concepcion uh, gets a single to the right side, and then George Foster gets another gets a single up the middle. And that means, once again in the bottom of the eighth, it's time for Teak. It's time for Kent DeColvey. Um, DeColvey's actually going to throw a wild pitch. I mean, he just just hangs on to a slider uh, that puts up second and third, puts the tying run at third base and the go-ahead run at second. Uh, but is able to knuckle down and strike out Johnny Bench. Um, kind of looks almost like a cutter slider on the outer half. Really kind of a gutsy pitch there from DeColvey. Uh, then they intentionally walk Dan Dreesen to bring in Ray Knight. And this at-bat goes to 3-2, right? 
fouls off a pitch. And so runners going, you got to come into the plate. You got to face a guy. Big moment, pressure point here for Tecolve. And many point, in many ways, you would think the save is right here in the eighth inning. You got to get it done now or else you might not win this game. And Tecolve, at least in the eighth, is able to deliver. Two out in the 3-2 situation. This is tough on a pitcher here, too, when they foul him off to keep getting that pitch where you want it. Certainly does. You know that there's no room to be, to be fine or anything else. You know that the winning run is now running on the pitch, and a base hit is surely going to score a speedy George Foster. So this is your key out. you got to do it right here. One pitch. All right, he's ready. Fly ball. Left center. Moreno there. Tacovi's out of a full-blown mess. And the side has been retired in the Cincinnati eighth. No runs. Two hits. No errors. Intentional pass. The Reds leave three and have now stranded nine in the game. Now the Bucks will really be looking for insurance. We're going to go to the ninth, trying to up the ante here with this score. The Pittsburgh Pirates 2, the Cincinnati Reds 1. A nail biter if you're manager Chuck Tanner. And when we get to the ninth inning, it's it's not going to get any easier. The, these Reds are really, really tough to put away. I got to say that. Um, you know, in the top of the ninth, the Pirates aren't able to add on. So it's still just a one run game. Um, Tecolve is able to strike out Geronimo to start the inning, but then Hector Cruz comes and pinch hits. He ends up getting a double to right center and it's a double, but in many ways, it's a ball that probably should have been caught like Moreno. They're all playing deep. They want nothing over their heads, but with the kind of the speed of the, the, of the runner, a, a ball that hangs up in the air turns into a pretty easy double. Um, and it's a ball that maybe Moreno could have come in and caught. And we're going to see this again with Dave Collins at the plate, the guy who, you know, is really fired up in this game because he feels, you know, the go-ahead run that scored for the Pirates is a ball, is a runner who should have been out by all rights. And so he's going to come up in a clutch situation. He's a guy who's filled in, you know, been kind of that super utility player, uh, and been a real revelation for the Reds this year, has had a little bit of a rough game overpowered by Jim Bibby. But with Tecolve on the mound, that's a little more his speed. And on the, f- you know, he gets into a two-strike count, a one-two count, and does this with the game and, frankly, the season and series on the line. Tying run and scoring position with one out. Dave Collins, a switch hitter will bat left. He's 0 for 4 today. He's 2 for 9 in the series. Morgan is on deck. Lined in the right center. The game will be tied. He's going to dig for second, and he's going to be safe at second. Tie game.
delivers a double right after the pinch hit double and Chuck Tanner is on his way as you saw Collins hustling in there to second because that puts the go ahead run in scoring position with only one away in the bottom of the ninth and Dave Roberts I told you after Cruz got that double that it would affect him differently and Roberts is on the way in to face Joe Morgan Boy, you don't think Dave Collins didn't know what that base hit meant he was really pumped he knew that he hustled into second base drove in that tying run we see Hector Cruz a one who pinch hit got that base hit Collins knows what it's meant and it's been a long uphill climb for that young man and now for it to culminate he's in the year that he's had and in it, to deliver in this situation you can see him yeah let's go I did it I did it now somebody drive me in you can hear the crowd roar as uh Cruz comes in to score and get even more fired up when Collins slides into second he's pumped up he kind of yells at umpire Frank Pulley I think kind of saying that should have ended the game. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know exactly what he said, but he's, I mean, boy, he's fired up and for good reason. And Tanner's actually going to take the Colvay out of the game. It's not exactly like he made bad pitches. Um, kind of in many ways, both of those balls maybe should have been caught. And especially Parker really, really carefully plays that ball. Now, which is not necessarily the wrong move because if you overplay and it gets behind you, Collins is on third base, if not scoring, you know, in game over. Um, but he probably could have done a better job at coming in quicker and firing it in to keep him at first. Uh, Cause the ball he hit really shouldn't have turned into a double, but now it's real, real crunch time. Actually, Dave Roberts, the lefty reliever who was really effective comes in and he walks Joe Morgan on four pitches. And so that means the guy who ended up saving the game last night, a guy who's been a starter pretty much the whole year, who's dealt with arm troubles, Don Robinson is called on once again to put out the fire. And I mean, what a, you know, Robinson, who's a young pitcher at this point, it is a, that is a big, big presser situation to put him into. And boy, is he going to shine in this high pressure role? He I mean, Bibby has comes out with great stuff in this game, right? Don Robinson stuff that he shows here in the ninth and spoiler alert, because the pirates are going to take this game into the 10th inning, the stuff he shows in the 10th, it's like, wow type stuff and you're going to hear the broadcasters even react to it and it's what you need in tough situations being able to get guys out with with high quality high leverage stuff yeah don robinson's got it for the pirates here no balls two strikes don robinson look at that intensity struck out concepcion Two away in the inning. First strikeout for Robinson. Of course, the only man is faced. It's the eighth Cincinnati player to strike out in the game. And here it is again. This is one of those unhittable curveballs. After throwing all of those fastballs, he comes over the top and drops one right off the table. Concepcion more or less just giving a wave as Robinson made an outstanding pitch. Well, that shows you the confidence you talked about that he had a moment ago, but to go with that freaking ball there great pitch it was not only throwing the pitch but it was excellent location he just executed beautifully all right here is foster with two on and two out 
Collins at second. That's the run that counts for them. Morgan's also at first. Bouncer, Garner. We've got extra innings for the second game in a row. Oh, he had it in shaded to the right side. Morgan was at first, and Collins was at second, and Garner just slipped right over in there, got that bouncing ball, and Don Robinson for the second day did a great job coming out of that bullpen. So they're limited to one run. Two hits, there weren't any errors. There haven't been any in the game. There was a walk, and they leave a pair. We're gonna go to the 10th inning. Now the Buck Bats have to start all over again. We've got the top of the order coming up, and they have Doug Bear already on the mound with this score. Pirates, two runs, nine hits. The Reds, two runs, eight hits. Free baseball once again. The Reds not able to take advantage there in the bottom of the ninth, but what Don Robinson coming out with some real, real elite stuff. I mean, that breaking ball he throws to Foster. I mean, this at bat, he comes in, fires a fastball, fires a fastball, and then drops the hammer. I mean, it it's almost a little bit more slider, uh, given the given the velocity on it, and but the depth of it is more like a breaking ball. I mean, more like a curveball. Man, just drops off the table and and I'm sorry, that's to Concepcion, and he's got no shot at it. And I mean, that's what you need. That's what you need. And uh, now in the top of the tenth, Doug Bear, the former Pirate, uh, I believe, who was in the Phil Garner trade, comes into pitch, and to lead off the inning, Omar Moreno gets a single. Right, rips one through the right side. I don't know if it was an off-speed pitch, but it might have just been a fastball. Hunts it through, hits it through the right side. And Tim Foley, other guy who has come through with clutch moments in these series in this series so far. He's already had like four hits, has driven in two runs, has scored a run, finds a way to make another impact. Lays down a perfect bunt, right? Pitcher fields it. Moreno moves to second the antelope and that brings up the cobra dave parker and guy on second you know a lot of times with a guy with dave parker's abilities right you think oh we're gonna pitch around you not when willie startle's sitting there right behind him (laughs) that ain't happening folks and parker who's not had the greatest game so far today right had a couple strikeouts hasn't come through uh with runners on base well Dave Parker, the Cobra at twilight. He's going to come through for the Pittsburgh Pirates in extra innings. Two balls, one strike. Let's get the antelope home. He's going to come home. He's going to be challenged by the throwing arm of Foster, but this time it'll be off target, and Parker ends up at second base. What a swing there by Dave Parker, going the other way, sharply hit. Foster's got to go a little bit to his le- a little bit to his left. It's not straight at him, but frankly, I don't think it matters with the way Omar Moreno can run. He's scoring on that ball. They don't call him the antelope for no reason. Um, 
Doug Bear is able to work out of the rest of the inning, you know, intentionally walks Willie Sargell. They want nothing to do with him, but he's able to get Bill Robinson. He's able to get Bill Madlock. But the Pirates, man, we talk about those winning plays and even, you know, the Reds are going to make you earn it, right? That's what I'm going to say in this, in this series. The Reds really made the Pirates earn it, right? The Pirates are the better team. They make them work. Not unlike the Angels made the Orioles work, right? Uh, but this, man, this has been a great series so far. Two extra inning games coming down to the wire. You got to love postseason baseball, man. You got to love it. And bottom of the 10th, Don Robinson, who got the save in game one, in line for the win in game two. Well, like I said, his stuff, he's just overpowering. Strikes out Johnny Bench on six pitches. Makes him, I mean, I think he gets him with another one of those breaking balls. Bench flails at it. Dan Dreesen flies out the left, works a full count, flies out the left, and that brings up Ray Knight, who made the final out last night. And Don Robinson is going to get ahead of him and take a listen on KDKA, the Pirates, with a chance to go up 2-0 before even heading back to Pittsburgh to try and finish this series off, to send the Pirates back to the World Series. Take a listen. Don Robinson, looking within two days to pick up his his first postseason save and his first postseason win. And there's the judge, old Hooley. He's been in a few of these, too. The equipment manager, John Hallahan. This is 90s, two for four. Don Robinson. Well, I tell you. If you're going to bring it, you just might as well bring it. He's certainly displaying that he is an overpowering pitcher when he's healthy. So disappointed that it hasn't been that way for him this year, getting a chance to redeem himself right here. Strike two. Went off the heater that time with a breaking ball. And he's been throwing that breaking ball hard. This is probably a harder curveball as you're going to see thrown. He knows the situation. He can smell it. He's ready. Our bench is ready to erupt. Right field. Parker back. Pirates are coming home 2-0. Look at Robinson. It ought out to get him. I told you that bench was ready to erupt. Don Robinson saved it last night, wins it today. You talk about a young man that's happy. Oh, what a year he's going to remember when that first little Bambino arrives in a few weeks to be on a championship team. So the Pirate family has done it again. Come from behind to do it, and there ain't no stopping us now. The final score in 10 innings, Pirates 3, Reds 2. You can hear how impressed Bryles was with Don Robinson's stuff. And man, what a uh, what a win for the Pirates. Both of these games, really impressive, really gutsy. I mean, there's a reason why Pittsburgh fell in love with this team. There's a reason why this team felt like family, <laughs> right? Why, why they, you know, 
it's an interesting thing that happens. The, these teams that win, these teams that have what we call it. There's something about coming together and having that chemistry that's that's so special. It's you can't quantify it. It's not some type of formula that's repeatable, even right. Like you know, the the stats on the field might be repeatable, but how a clubhouse comes together, what happens that year, the connections and bonds that players and managers and communities form, right? Because that's an important part here too. And we're going to see when we get to Pittsburgh, right? We saw it in Baltimore. We saw it in California. We even see the Reds. You know, it's it's a, it's a community, a fan base that's expecting them to win, right? There's something about it that, you know, perhaps when I have a chance to do this in a sort of a longer view, we can talk about, but man, something special. There's something special about this team, about these buckos. You know, Jim Bibby doesn't get the win in this game, but man, he was brilliant, right? Tim Foley coming up with huge plays. Phil Garner being in the middle of it again, even though this time, well, maybe he shouldn't have scored that run. The, the Pirates bullpen figuring things out. Don Robinson. How about Don Robinson? These last two games in an unfamiliar role, right? This is a guy who's been a starter. And here he is. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, go close out playoff games, Don Robinson. You think you can do that? <laughs> like we, we, we're asking things of guys. I mean, that is what's so impressive, right? That is the thing I'll end on here as we wrap up. Sometimes, right, game one, Willie Sargel comes through with the big hit. And, and obviously game two, Dave Parker comes up with the big hit. You expect your stars to do what the stars are going to do. But sometimes you're putting guys in position, in positions they're not familiar with, right? For Jim Bibby, although he's been a starter, you know, he's never been thought of as a number two, right? Hey, go out there and 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 carry us right don robinson go out there and close a game even though we've got to and grant jackson and enrique romo no 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 don robinson it, it, like we already used those guys to finish the game it's going to be you some guys they might wilt under those pressure champions rise to the occasion that's the that's the feeling you get from this Pittsburgh Pirates team. It's going to do it for us here in game two. Brilliant, awesome games. Real nail biters for the Pirates. Game three might be a little different. Just a little different. It'll still be a celebration though. Can't wait to cover that one. Until then, catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.